We've seen this success of people in our community going and saying, you know, I'm a real estate investor, I'm resourceful, taking those limiting beliefs and fears that they maybe initially had that we all have that hold us back and switching them around and saying, you know, I'm very resourceful. I can figure this out. I've got a great community around me. Um, I can handle whatever comes at me. Every challenge is a gift. And so that identity and that kind of mindset work that people are doing in our community and that we do to this day for ourselves really can change, a make a difference in believing that you can do it and making you that much more successful. Are you looking for opportunities to invest in passive real estate syndications? Join our exclusive community at FastFire Capital, where we're dedicated to bringing doctors and other high-income earners priority access to the best opportunities to invest in large multifamily and other types of commercial properties. Not only that, by being part of the community, you'll get exclusive access to webinars and Q&As, where you'll be able to raise your passive investing IQ. To join our community, go to semiretiredmd.com forward slash syndication. Again, that address is semiretiredmd.com forward slash syndication. When you daydream about your future, I'll bet it doesn't include you still working into your 60s and 70s. But unless you're actively taking steps to break the cycle of trading time for money, that's the future most of us face. Ignite Your Journey will lay out a roadmap to show you how to finally break that cycle and achieve true financial freedom. And it will show you how to do it in just three to five years rather than the 20 or so it takes for traditional investments or saving in your retirement accounts. For more information, go to semiretiredmd.com forward slash IYJ. Hey, Doctors Building Wealth. Did you hear that Kenji and I wrote a book called Life on Your Terms, which is a fable of two doctor couples, one who goes the traditional route, investing in their 401ks and working harder, and one that decides to invest in real estate. And what happens to those two couples over five years? Our book is now out and available for purchase. Be sure to go to semiretiredmd.com forward slash book to pick up a copy today. And write us a review because it's going to be so helpful to us to be able to get this book out into the larger community and be able to affect more change and impact more lives. And in case you didn't know, all the profits of our book go to our Doctors Legacy Building Foundation, which is all about helping underserved communities be able to get financial literacy. Thank you for all of your support. Welcome to the Doctors Building Wealth Podcast, the place where we talk about the strategies, habits, and mindset that separate wealthy docs from those who are not. We're your hosts, Leiti and Kenji. Welcome to another episode of the Doctors Building Wealth Podcast. Today, Kenji and I are going to be giving you 10 keys to scaling your rental real estate portfolio quickly. And this is going to be 10 of them. So it's going to take a little bit longer than our normal podcast. But we're going to be actually splitting this into part one and part two. And this one is going to be focused on the first five ways to scale your real estate portfolio. Now, the reason we wanted to talk about this is because Kenji and I have a lot of experience scaling. When we started out, we started out investing in real estate together with small in small multifamily properties. And so our first property was actually a duplex, and so was our second one. And within a couple of years, we were up to 45 units, and today we're up to over 150 doors. And a lot of that came from scaling from taking properties and increasing their value and rolling them into bigger properties. And so today we'll be sharing 
sharing with you all those pieces of information that you really need to know to, in order to be able to scale your portfolio over time and grow it and be able to make it make more profits for you. And not only that, uh, we've also encountered a lot of the challenges uh, involved in scaling your portfolio. A lot of that being the psychology. Uh, ultimately, I was uh, at one point I was afraid of of scaling our portfolio, and I just wanted to stop. I said, "Okay, hey, we're at forty units. Why don't we just stop? What's the point of scaling?" And a lot of that was just an excuse. Uh, I was I felt that I was not in a position to uh, scale. I didn't feel like I had the right experience the right network, the right, you know, enough money, uh, all the, all the reasons that a lot of people fear scaling. So we wanted to start this podcast out for all of you listening to ask yourself, you know, why do you think so many people don't scale their portfolios? Have you seen people who are holding themselves back? Have you seen people, maybe things get in their way for scaling? Do you know what they're missing? And just spend a second and think about why maybe you haven't scaled or why others around you you've, you've watched over the last few years haven't scaled and what you think those reasons are. So Kenji and I have noticed some patterns and that's what we're going to be talking about. So the first pattern that we've noticed that have allowed people to scale and not get stuck is believing it's possible for them. And when we started out, like Kenji mentioned, we actually didn't believe that scaling was possible for us specifically. And so that held us back for a number of years. And what we've come to realize is that 80% of what you do, of uh, the success you have is really due to your mindset and your psychology. Yeah. And we've, we've seen a lot of mom and pop owners get stuck at a certain size property or a certain number of units. And I think a large part of that is because they don't believe it's possible for them. And as we bought property after property from mom and pop owners, what we noticed was that there were a number of reasons why they tended to get stuck. One of the reasons is that they don't have a vision for what they want. They don't go out and say, okay, I want to scale up a portfolio up to a certain size. Um, I want to eventually get into hundred unit properties. You know, they, they kind of just go day by day. Uh, we had one owner who was just buying one unit at a time and eventually did accumulate a lot of units, but there was no clear vision of, of I'm going to go do this. It just happened accidentally. Yeah. And Kenji's talking about our 160 unit in Vegas. When we bought it, it was 158 condos that the owner had individually bought up over several years. And so he didn't have the vision of going bigger. He just accidentally got there. And you can imagine what he would have done if he had that vision starting out. Yeah. Well, I wanted to emphasize that it was over decades that he acquired 158 units. And for us, we ended up buying the 160 units two years after we set the goal of buying 160 units. So it's, yeah. a, it's a very, very huge difference. If you have a clear vision for what you want, you set a goal for going out and buying a hundred plus unit property versus somebody who gets there accidentally. I think the other patterns we've seen is we've often seen that the kind of mom and pop landlords, they also don't claim this identity of real estate investor out, out of the gate. And we've seen this success of people in our community going and saying, you know, I'm a real estate investor, I'm resourceful, taking those limiting beliefs and fears that they maybe initially had that we all have that hold us back and switching them around and saying, you know, I'm very resourceful. I can figure this out. I've got a great community around me. Um, I can handle whatever comes at me. Every challenge is a gift. And so that identity and that kind of mindset work that people are doing in our community and that we do to this day for ourselves really can change a make a difference in believing that you can do it and making you that much more successful. Yeah. And when you have fears and limiting beliefs, I don't know about you just think about anything that you've ever accomplished 
um, or anything you've ever attempted, uh, if there were a lot of fears and limiting beliefs, it's likely that that resulted in ta you taking suboptimal action. And that's what happens is that if you don't have a lot of certainty, if you've never done something before, you don't have any examples of somebody showing you exactly how to do it, then the tendency is that we take really, really small actions towards our goals and therefore we don't achieve them. Yeah. And oftentimes we don't even try. And if we do try, quote unquote, try, we give up at the first sign of anything not going our way, because again, we're not quite sure that we can do this. And so something coming our way, that's a challenge, maybe just reinforces, oh yeah, I can, I can't do this. And you just stop. And so again, starting out and believing it's possible for you is really the key in being able to cultivate that mindset that is going to make you successful. Now we wanted to bring this quote to you, uh, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. We know that's an often used quote, but it's such a powerful one. That's why people use it because truly starting out with the belief that you can do something is the first step in making sure you actually do it. If you don't believe it's possible, you're not gonna get any farther down the road. Okay, number two is to have a strong why and big goals. And so what we've seen is that if you have a strong reason for why you're doing something, you're going to be that much more likely to achieve it. And when we first started out investing in real estate, we actually kind of set this up by accident. We decided, you know, let's think about what we want and why we're doing this. And we went and we created this vision for our future. And this vision for our future included having an Italian villa, spending time with our family, spending time with our friends. And so it was very emotionally charged for us. It was something that was very powerful. It kind of pulled us as we went through challenge after challenge, but having that why and understanding why we were doing this, even when things got hard, it kept us going. Yeah. If you don't have a strong reason for why you're doing something, then it really does feel like a struggle. It feels like you're pushing something up a mountain. Uh, whereas, you know, you, you know, if you have a direction you want to go and there's a really strong reason, you're pulled towards that direction. And that is so much more powerful. It takes so much less effort. Uh, and that's the reason why you really want to have a strong why. Um, the second part of this is having big goals. And what Kenji and I have seen over time is people often ask us, you know, what's realistic and what's reasonable. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to set their goals according to what the average person or people around them have done. And what the risk of that is, is that you set very small goals because what you're looking at is, yeah, a conglomeration of other people. And maybe you're imagining um, much smaller than actually you're capable of doing. And we've done this to ourselves many, many times. We've set goals way smaller than what we are capable of doing. We far exceeded them. And so when we think about goal setting, we do think about the SMART acronym, which stands for specific, measurable, achievable, relevant, and timely. But we we take out that achievable part and we set these big goals that really push us to think differently. Yeah. And the reason is achievable goals are based on what you think you're capable of today. And it doesn't allow for the fact that tomorrow or a week from now or a year from now or five years from now, that you're going to be a completely different person with a lot more capabilities. So you know, I think you're really selling yourself short if you set achievable goals. What you really want to do is set 
really big goals, scary goals, things that, you know, things that you don't think you can achieve. And you don't have to know how to get to them right today. Um, if any of you have read 10X is Easier Than 2X, that really talks about the tyranny of the how, which is something we've talked about a lot in this podcast, which is getting stuck in the details of how you're going to do it and letting that dictate the goals that you set. We'd start with what you really want and those big goals and set them scary so that then you figure out how to get there over time. And oftentimes that how is actually other people. It's the who's. And you may not know them right now, but they're going to show up as you start looking and as your reticular activating system gets going, looking for ways to find a, to find to get to your big goals. Yeah. And to give you an example. So, you know, once once I kind of overcame some of the limiting beliefs about scaling, you know, we were stuck at 40 units, you know, I set a goal at that time that I wanted to buy a hundred unit property just because I felt like, you know, this is, this is not something that I can do. That's really how I felt. And so I was like, you know what, I'm going to set this really big goal, something I don't think I can achieve right now, but I'm going to figure it out. And so what I did was I set a goal of buying that hundred unit property in two years. And what happened? We bought 160 unit in that exact time frame. Mm -hmm. Podcast is sponsored by our course, Zero to Freedom Through Cashflowing Rentals. Zero to Freedom Through Cashflowing Rentals is a 10-week online course focused on helping physicians and high-income earners go from knowing little to nothing about real estate investing to confidently buying the cashflowing rentals that will allow them to achieve financial freedom and work in medicine or their day jobs on their own terms. Our course is only open to registration twice a year, so be sure to get on the waitlist at semiretiredmd.com and check out the course details on our course landing page. This episode is brought to you by Dan Peck of Movement Mortgage. If you're an experienced investor, you'll know just how important it is to have a lender who knows how to work with investors. We've been working with Dan and his team for over eight years now, and he's our go-to whenever we need a residential loan for our investment properties. Now, if you're new to investing, you might not know this, but your lender can sometimes be the difference between getting a great deal or completely missing out on it because your lender couldn't close the deal. I did want to point out that Dan can help you not only with your investment properties, but also if you're looking to buy a primary residence or vacation home. So the next time you're looking for a residential lender, be sure to email Dan at srmd@movement.com to get a free consultation. And also let him know that you're part of the Semi-Retired MD community to get an exclusive discount on your next loan. Now back to the episode. Okay, the next one is to use leverage. And we know this is a scary thing for a lot of you guys, especially um, you've heard these messages as we went through med school, went, went through residency, or maybe you went through grad school and people were saying, hey, debt is bad. You know, pay off your debt, pay off your student debt, don't have any debt at all. A lot of you even have paid off your primary homes over the years because you don't want to have any debt at all. Well, number three is using leverage because leverage is what allows you to scale so much faster. And we really think there's a difference between good debt and bad debt. So bad debt is like consumer debt. That's like, you know, buying a car, buying a purse, buying something that's not really an asset. It's a liability and it loses value over time. Real estate is actually an asset. And what that means is it makes you money if you buy it correctly. It should make you money every single month. And so if you look at it that way, actually, your primary home becomes a liability, not an asset. But the idea is that if you use loans, if you use leverage, you're going to be able to buy that many more properties faster. And when you do that, what you get 
is you get a lot more depreciation from tax and that goes into more tax savings. You get additional opportunities for forced depreciation, which we'll talk about a little bit later, but basically increasing the value of the property. If you have 10 properties and you increase the value of all those properties, that's so much more growth and net worth than only being able to buy one property and increase its net value. Um, you also get opportunities for market and immediate appreciation. And one of the other benefits is risk mitigation, because if you have a whole bunch of properties, we look at them as like uh, concentration risk. You know, if you have one property, that's the highest concentration risk you have. If you have a lot of different properties. You have less concentration risk. And so something happens to one property. It's not such a big deal when you have a big portfolio of 150 units like us. Whereas if you just have one property or two and something happens, that's a lot more uh, impact on your bottom line and on your net worth. And so for a number of reasons, having a lot of properties actually really helps you both from tax savings, income, and then opportunities for net worth growth, and then also lowering your risk. And so one question we often get asked is, well, if I'm using leverage, you know, what is the right amount of equity to have in our real estate portfolio? Um, Kenji and I very early on in our journey read uh, Gary Keller's book called Real Estate Investor Millionaire. And in that book, he goes and he interviews a lot of different millionaire real estate investors. And he finds that on average, their equity across their portfolio is about 40%. And so we've kind of always kept an eye on our equity, and I'd say largely we've kept it around 40%, um, especially in more recent years when de bonus depreciation was really high. Maybe we got a little bit lower, but I think over time, as we grow older, we'll probably increase the equity. So there's no right answer is what I'm trying to tell you with the amount of equity, but you really need to think about your risk tolerance and, and watch that equity and decide at what point you want to make sure you want to lower it or you want to increase it. Well, and I did want to emphasize that forced depreciation is one of the best ways to lower that leverage because what you're doing is you're increasing the value of the property and therefore relative to the amount that you're borrowing, the, the equity that you have grows. And that's a great way for you to go from, you know, maybe you start out 75 percent loan and 25 percent down right but then over time as you force more appreciation that ratio changes and you start moving towards 60 40 and maybe even 50 50 which is a really great place to be when you're 50 50 you have a lot less leverage and you have a lot more ability to borrow if you have to uh, if you get into trouble you just have a great backup plan if you uh, lower that leverage over time using forced appreciation I think there are also seasons in your life. So for example, I think we're still in a fairly aggressive season where we're really into growth. And so for us, we're going to tolerate a little bit less leverage. Like I mentioned, as we get older, as we maybe are slowing down our growth, we're going to value stability and we're going to value having more leverage and, and more kind of um, collection of money basically in our properties. And so at that point, we're going to probably lower um, our loan amount and increase our equity across our portfolio. So just understand this can change over time as well in different phases of your life. The next one is to buy great deals. So some of you out there might be like, well, what's a great deal? Well, for us, a great deal is a deal that cash flows and it cash flows according to our minimum criteria. And we're continuously looking at that number and saying, how do we get it to cash flow even more? Um, we want to get that monthly income because it's really, it's what replaces your income from your 
your day job, and it also allows you to get through any unexpected expenses in your real estate portfolio or your life. And that allows you to make it through any, any market. So in markets where maybe properties lose value and you have a bunch of single family homes, if they're cash flowing, there's nothing you need to do. You don't need to sell them at a loss, right? You just hold on to them and the market will come back. Market goes through cycles and then it comes back and then you can sell them if you want to because now it, you're selling them at a profit. So it's really about that cash flow. And we always use a cash and cash calculator to be able to look at our cash flow before we even buy a property so that we're, no, we're buying a good deal in terms of cash flow. Now, the other thing our community focuses on, in addition to the cash flow, is forced appreciation. And the reason why forced appreciation is so important is that that's the value that you can create. When you sell that property, you can then take that value and put it into the next property using something called a 1031 exchange. And that's a tax-deferred exchange. It allows you to take that money and not pay taxes on it. You can take that entire amount and put it into the next property. That's what allows you to scale so quickly by forcing that appreciation. Yeah, and we'll talk about that a little bit more when we talk about the velocity of money. Um, but forced appreciation is really part of buying a good deal because it allows you to have that growth and net worth. And then it also actually gives you an exit strategy. So if, for example, the market does go down and you want to get rid of a single property, uh, if you force a lot of appreciation, you're coming to the table and you're able to sell that property and you shouldn't have to come to the table and bring money to be able to sell it. Um, the other thing we look at for great deals, besides deals that cash flow and deals that have forced appreciation, we look to mitigate risk. And so we look for deals that allow us a lot of different options in terms of exit strategies. One of our favorites, uh, is we have people in our community going and buying like duplexes and fourplexes that work as long-term rentals, but they're making them midterm rentals and just cash flowing a lot more. Or maybe some of them, they're making short-term rentals and even cash flowing more. And so that's such a great way to, to do it, to buy a property that has so many different uses that you really can flex. And if you have those skills to know how to operate a short-term rental profitably and a midterm rental and a long-term rental, you have so many options. And, and the last thing really about great deals and what we constitute as a great deal is a deal that makes sense with the numbers and isn't an emotional buy. And so a lot of times when you're first starting out as a real estate investor, you get very emotionally involved with properties and you want to make them work and you're looking for ways to make the numbers work and you just want to buy it maybe because you like it. And that's not the way to be an investor that's going to get you into trouble if you're not buying properties according to what they're going to do for your bottom line in terms of profit. And so you want to make sure that you're buying properties that are good deals that actually cash flow and that make sense with the numbers and a not an emotional buy. Yeah. And the other reason why buying great deals is so important is that, you know, if you don't buy a great deal, it has the potential to set you back. Right. And what you, you know, again, we're talking about scaling your portfolio. You know, if you have that setback, then it's just going to slow your growth. And so what you want to do is you want to make sure that everything you buy, uh, you, Use something like a cash on cash calculator, make those decisions, not emotionally, but based on the numbers. And for those of you who are listening and uh, want to get access to our cash and cash calculators, we actually have a short-term rental cash on cash calculator and a long-term rental cash and cash calculator, which we often use the short-term rental one for the midterm rentals as well. Those are available on semi-retired MD. And so we'll put the links below in the show notes for those of you who want to be able to download those cash and cash calculators and start running the numbers on properties. So number five way to scale your real estate portfolio is to increase your velocity in money. Now, Kenji alluded this 
to this a little bit earlier, which is the idea of reusing the same money over and over again. When we first started, uh, we were really kind of assuming that we were going to have to save up for each property, buy a new property, and then we'd have to save up for the next one. But we've been able to grow our portfolio the way we have because we've reused the same money over and over again. Otherwise, it would have been a much slower process. And so the way to do this is to force appreciation, which we talked about earlier, which is to increase the value of your property. Now, how do you increase the value of your property? Well, we like to buy properties that are kind of oldish, run down, maybe not maximized. Maybe if it's a short-term rental, it's got terrible furniture and terrible design. Those are the types of properties we like to buy because we can increase how much income they bring in. And we're also looking for ways to decrease expenses. And when we do that, when we make a property more profitable, it brings in more cash flow, it's worth more to the next investor. And this is especially the case with large multifamily. There's actually a direct correlation, bring in more income, it's worth more. And so what we try to do is we try to force appreciation for every single property we buy. Even when we, I think the one property that we bought that was really beautiful, that was already done was our Dallas short-term rental. And even in that case, we're actually building a pool. And so we do this consistently with every property and a lot allows us to use the same money over and over again with 1031 exchanges and also with cash out refis. And another real benefit of scaling up your portfolio and doing this is that you're going to get that tax savings from depreciation. Every time you roll a property into a more expensive property, you just have that bigger, bigger tax benefit. And we also do that actually with rehabbing too, is, is when we rehab, we're able to depreciate and actually write off a lot of the expenses of rehabbing. So I often look at that as your government is paying for about a third, let's say if your tax rate was 30% and be about a third of the costs of rehabbing. So you're also getting depreciation that way, besides also going bigger and being able to take depreciation of that bigger property. Now, I'll give you an example of one of our students who purchased a short-term rental in a market where there actually was a temporary short-term rental ban. And they talked to the city council. They said that this, this was just temporary. They're going to lift it. Uh, but what ended up happening was that ban turned out to be permanent. Uh, and that caused a big problem because they now couldn't rent out their property as a short-term rental. But luckily, they already had a plan to force appreciation. They already had a plan to significantly improve the interior. They had already planned to put in a pool. And in that community, having a pool was a huge, huge benefit uh, and significantly increased the value of the property. So they bought the property for $650,000. And a year later, they sold it for $1.3 million. And then they 1031 exchanged that into two fourplexes in a different market. And this just shows you the value of being able also to do short-term rentals, mid-term rentals, and long-term rentals and have the skill set to do any of them because you can take a property that's a short-term rental and turn it into multiple long-term rentals. But likewise, we have a student recently who took like a 40-unit long-term rental and made it into a really high-priced, high-value beach house short-term rental. So you have those skills, you can really flex and be able to do a variety of different properties. All right, that covers the first five keys to scaling your rental portfolio quickly. Stay tuned to watch part two, where we're going to cover the other five keys. The Doctors Building Wealth podcast provides information only and does not provide any financial, legal, tax, medical, or psychological services or advice. You are responsible for your own financial, physical, mental, and emotional well-being, decisions, choices, actions, and results.
You should contact a professional if you have any specific questions about your unique situation.